0: If you're joining partway through or just for this afternoon, we're coming to the conclusion of our Easter series. We called it Royal Blood and we looked in four weeks uh, up to Easter and we were looking at various aspects of the sacrifice system in Leviticus uh, and then seeing how clearly that tied into um, the Lord Jesus uh, and what He did in His final great sacrifice for us. So what we we did is we looked at the first four chapters and now we're jumping right the way through to chapter 10 of the book of Leviticus. What's happened in the intervening bit is quite important for us. The intervening chapters have been a complex set of instructions of what those four sacrifices actually meant. So God is saying to his people, it is really, really important that you understand these sacrifices that you understand why they're there, what their significance is, and how you're to go about it, because this is great news. The basis of Leviticus is quite simply this. You don't deserve to be loved, you don't deserve to be accepted, but I have given you a way to be right with me. That is great news. The way that he concludes that in chapters 8 and 9... Is he sets up uh, and he gives instructions for the priests and how they're to act in that, in that priestly role. What does a priest do? Uh, and uh, why are priests significant? A priest sits in that place between us and God. That's the role of a priest. It stands in that place. It's an incredibly important role. It's a role that we cannot do without It's somebody who stands as an advocate for us, goes into the presence of God and into our presence and steps backwards and forwards between those two places on our behalf. Now if we think about that for a minute, we think the significance of that, that is why Jesus comes along and He says, I am your great high priest. I am now the one who stands in the place that you desperately need. The one who goes into God's presence and the one who comes to you and and kind of sits in that gap in between. That's why I'm not a priest and you don't need me as a priest because Jesus is our priest. It's why the role that we have in leading the church is not in a place between the congregation and God, it's alongside, shoulder to shoulder, saying, look, there's our priest, Jesus. <clears throat> That's what we need. It's in the heart of these instructions that God is giving, therefore, is a contrast. If we need a priest, it's because there's a contrast between our unworthiness and God's astounding holiness. That's the difference. We're not like God. God is astoundingly holy, incredibly holy, and we are completely the polar opposite. And so we've got a priest who stands in the place, but the priest also displays something critically important to us, and it's this. It's that God... Is astoundingly gracious because he's given away for us to come to him. If we've got that massive contrast between God's own holiness and our own unworthiness, we've got a problem without a priest. We need a priest, and that can ho- only happen because God has said, Here's the priests. That's what he says to the old. Old Testament believers. Then he says to us, and here's Jesus, here's your priest. So we come to this little section, and I think I can only describe this little narrative as a narrative of profound crisis, and yet something which is, it might look ancient, it might look distant, but it is so significant for us today. Let's see what happens in broad brush terms. We've got this, this guy called Aaron. We're going to start next, next week. Our next journey is through the book of Exodus. It's a big book and we're not going to do it verse, five by, verse by verse or chapter by chapter. We're going to take some nice big chunks of Exodus and we're going to work through Exodus. Seeing how, the, how God speaks to us today through Exodus. We're going to find out more about Aaron. He stood alongside Moses, uh, and the two of them were really in a role. Moses, the main, the main spokesperson, and Aaron, the priestly and actor of God's work. Aaron's two sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu, they go into the holy place. And when they go into the holy place, they, they take, we read in verse 1, they took censers put them in fire, and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to His command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord, and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. That is breathtaking, isn't it? We just pause and think about that, because we're going to come in a minute to all of the reasons why that is a massive problem for us, but let's just pause for a minute and imagine what's gone on. Aaron, the priest, his two sons, who are really involved in the work with him, they seem to be really on board. They take censers. I can't imagine what the censers were like—long metal bowls—and they fill them with incense and they take fire from the altar and they present it before God. And boom, whoosh consumed burnt to death before God they're dead because they did what God had not instructed them to do God says to Moses this is how you are to speak to Aaron and so Moses then said to Aaron this is what the Lord spoke of when he said Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Now those two kind of ideas are really critical. And it's back to this idea that God is astoundingly holy and we are astoundingly unworthy. God says this, I will be proved holy. What does that mean? What does holy mean? Kind of, We've just sung it, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. What does holy mean? It means beautifully, incredibly, astoundingly pure and different to us. I don't know whether you've ever met somebody who's, they've just got an awe and presence about you, about them which wilts you. <laughs> there, there is something beautiful about them. There is something breathtaking about them. And you, you kind of come into their presence and they have something where you just feel kind of small. You are in awe of them. That doesn't come even close to what holy means. But it's kind of on the journey. God is so incredibly perfect, astoundingly beautiful, incredibly pure, that if we came into that presence, we would be snuffed out like a candle. Just gone. A candle next to the sun isn't even a good enough illustration. That is how pure. God is. And therefore God says, I will be proved to be that pure. Now what's he done? He said, here's all the ways that you can come to me. And they came in a different way. And therefore he says, I will be proved holy. I will be proved holy. And he also says, I will be honored. If you come before me in the right way, I'll be honored. If you come before me in the wrong way, I'm going to be proved holy. Both of those things kind of sit together. So here's Nadab and Abayu. I don't know what went through their minds, but I think it must be something like this kind of carried away with a a breathtaking excitement about being involved in the worship of God and an imagination in their minds that says something along the lines of, let's make this even cooler than what it already is. It is really cool to be a priest. It is really cool that everybody else is out there, but we get to go into the holy place. Let's go in there and let's make it even better. Tell you what we'll do. We'll take some incense. We'll take some fire. We'll present it before God. And that will be even better than we've already been doing. It'll be amazing. And they died because of it. It was a fatal decision. Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. What's he saying? He's saying, family members, take these who have just died, and take them outside of the camp, because that's where they're to be buried. And then he goes on with even more kind of astounding language he says do not let your hair become uncapped do not tear your clothes or you will die and the Lord will be angry at the whole community but your relatives all the Israelites may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire isn't that isn't that amazing he says you, you uh, relatives who are priests you don't even look like you're mourning you keep your hair straight You continue to present yourself before the Lord. You leave the morning to all of those outside. I just think this whole text is breathtaking. When we look at it, I think we've got to to be really honest. Something like this is profoundly disturbing for us, isn't it? We look at this and we think, "Ah, do you know what? If that's the God of the Bible, I don't want anything to do with that God. I don't want anything to do with a God who does things like slays people. The dramatic nature of the events resulting in death is just too huge for me. And besides that, what caused the death seems like a tiny thing. They only took some incense. They only set it alight. They didn't do a terrible thing, and yet they've end up being slain for it. Let me just pause. Let me press pause for a minute. Let's stop. Let's just, before we jump straight into that way of thinking, let's be honest about something. In the past, in a different culture, in a different location, people would have been shocked by this story. But they would not be shocked by the death of Nadab and Abayu. They would have been shocked in the past because they would have dared to do something against what God had said. The way we view things is very, very much shaped by our Western culture. We are shaped by our mindset which says there is an individual way that we can think and we can decide what's good and what's bad. We can create that for ourselves and we can decide what's right and wrong. And we can decide that that kind of God isn't the kind of God that I want to deal with. That is our Western individual location. And we have as well... The kind of arrogance that promotes that particular perspective above every other historic view in, the all of, in all of time. We believe that we are superior. Just let us pause a minute and think are we right to always think that we're the superior view? Are the views in the past, is this saying something to us that I have to take on board today? I have to think about today. We do have a cultural aversion. But am I wanting to understand a God who I want to create for myself? Or do I want to understand the God who has been revealed to us? That is an amazingly important question. Do I want to form this God out of my own imagination, out of my own thoughts, out of my own ideas, so God looks like my kind of God-shaped being? Or am I prepared to say, maybe there is a God that I need to hear who's revealed Himself in a different way? What we see here is right at the core of that issue. Why has this happened? It's happened because two priests have ignored the grace of God. One of the amazing things that we see in Leviticus is the complexity of the sacrifice system. That was so different for the ancient world. Remember right at the very beginning when we were looking at this and we said, the whole of the ancient world had the idea of sacrifice. But what the ancient world had was all sorts of gods. Many, many gods. And so you had a god for harvest, you had a god for the weather, you had a god for your city... You had a God for the sun. You had all of these different gods. And so you created sacrifices for all of these different gods because it is inconceivable that there could be a God which is singular. One God. It's impossible. There's there's just too much out there. And so we have all of these little gods and it was the job of humanity, as far as humanity was concerned, to try to appease these gods. Try to work out what would work did it work last time it seemed to go okay well let's sacrifice again in that way let did it work no it was do you know what we sacrificed with grain and it absolutely poured down for three months don't do the grain thing again let's do something with a cow that's their kind of mindset let's try the cow sacrifice the cow the cow worked so let's not, let's not sacrifice with grain anymore. Let's sacrifice with cows to the God of the weather and then let's see that. And then it works for years on years and years and years. And then suddenly you get an absolute drought because you've sacrificed to a cow and they go beating around the butt and they say, oh man, what we, let's try a sheep. Try a sheep. Okay, let's try a sheep and we sacrifice a sheep. And the God of the weather seems to be okay with that. So let's try sacrificing sheep to the God of the weather. That is so different to the God that we see here. That is about humanity trying to work out how to appease God. And God says, stop that. Stop doing that. I am one God, and this is how to be in relationship with me. That's grace. God isn't saying you've got to work out how to do it. He's not saying, I'm up here. I'm hidden away. You've got to try and guess. We'll play a game of of cards. We'll work out, when you do the right thing, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of applaud you and allow, allow it to go well. It's not like that, he says, this is it. I'm not a hidden God, I'm a God of grace. I'm a God who says, this is how it is. Here's all of the things that you can do wrong, here's all of the things that you can offend me with, but here's all of the ways that that can be resolved. I'm telling you, have faith in that, believe in that. Believe that if I say, come with a burnt offering, that you'll be forgiven. That's faith. Believe it. I'm a God who's revealing myself. That's grace. And Nadab and Abihu just say, I don't want to trust in that. I don't want to trust that revealed grace. I want to make it up for myself. I don't think that's good enough. I don't think that's exciting enough. I tell you what would be way more exciting. Rather than just slaying a sheep. It would be great if the worship of God was pyrotechnics. Let's get some incense. Let's burn it. Let's create some fire and spark. Because to be honest, all this sprinkling of blood, all that stuff, I've been doing it for months, again and again, it's just this again, let's change it up, let's walk out of here and say, we're the the guys that you now need to follow, because we've just done Pyrotechnics, you know, when you were around in your camp and there was that great ball of fire that went up in the air and smoke came out, how amazing was that worship! Only they didn't come out because God said, No, it won't be your way, it will be my way. That's the story, that's what this is all about. Deciding. Whose way of worship, whose way of redemption, whose way of acceptance are we going to believe in? God's way or our own way? Now, do you see how we can take that idea and we can catapult it to the 21st century and we can say exactly the same is our issue today? Exactly the same is our issue. Exactly the same. We have. The same human condition as Nadab and Abayu. We have the same human condition that says, I don't want to accept the God who is revealed. I want to create a more exciting God. Let me tell you something. I believe passionately. I hope you you know this of me. I believe passionately that Christian faith in the 21st century is absolutely relevant to today it is absolutely essential it is life transforming it is life changing beyond our wildest imaginations it is the only hope that the world has but let me say this it will never be cool it will never be cool it might engage with us in ways that we think, whoa, I want to tell everybody about that. But it's never going to appear to the the whole of the world that we live in as something really on it. And when we try to make it something really on it, we're in danger of going down the line of Nadab and Abayu we create gods for ourselves we create things which look exciting but the reality is that the message of Jesus even more today than possibly ever is culturally abhorrent is culturally abhorrent let me read these words some of my most challenging and favorite words in the bible it's after Jesus has risen So it's really relevant for us today at the end of this series of Easter. It's after Jesus is uh, risen again. And He has appeared to Thomas. Thomas is the disciple who can't believe all the reports. He doubts it. And he says, the only thing that I'm going to believe is seeing and touching you. And Thomas said to Him, Lord, we don't know where You're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Isn't that amazing? That is culturally abhorrent. That we should have the idea that there is only one way to be saved. I want it more exciting than that. I want it so exciting that there can be all sorts of different ways so that God isn't that kind of God who's restrictive. The kind of God who says it's got to be the way that I say rather than the way that I want to construct. I want to construct a God where actually I want a beautiful, kind, happy God who accepts all sorts of different ideas and thoughts. Because any other kind of God seems just so unfair to me. And yet Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. It is exactly the same idea. It's exactly the same idea. God has said to the people in Moses' day, here's all the way. Which one are you going to accept? Nadab and Abihu's way or my way? Now just let me pause and say this to you. This has just come to me. If imagine, if Nadab and Abihu had not been dealt with so severely, it would have opened a door for any kind of worship of God in any kind of way that they decided to construct for themselves. And yet Jesus says, I am the only way. In exactly the same way, he says, You have got to come to the Father my way, through me. Tim Keller writes this How do we come? One of the ways, it's his book on prayer, one of the ways that we come to God and we acknowledge God in his way is as we pray. As we reflect in prayer, can our prayers be constructed unhelpfully? It says this. People from Western cultures want a God who is loving and forgiving, but not holy and transcendent. I think that is brilliant. Just to observe that and say, that is that is breathtaking, isn't it? We want to construct a God who is loving and forgiving but not holy and transcendent. Actually, the God that we have is loving, forgiving, and holy and transcendent. He's all of those, but we only want half of it. Studies of the spiritual lives of young adults in Western countries reveal that their prayers, therefore, are generally devoid of both repentance and of the joy of being forgiven. Without prayer that answers the God of the Bible, we will only be talking to ourselves. At the end of a series where we have been looking at sacrifice, I want us to take hold of those ideas and say that we need to believe that we come to God in repentance, seeking his forgiveness in Jesus, but it doesn't end at that. Keller says, and he's bang on with this, he says, that is the doorway to your joy. That is how you can be happier than you could ever believe, more satisfied than you can ever believe. The gateway to satisfaction and joy and happiness is the gateway of repentance and forgiveness. It's amazing because the God of loving forgiveness is the God of holy transcendence. And he says to come through the door of holy transcendence is to come to a place of loving forgiveness. And so when you get up in the morning, tomorrow morning, and you're thinking, I've got another day of work wake up with the thought, I am forgiven. This is an amazing day. And another day that I have when I can live out believing I am forgiven. That is a joyful thing. No matter what happens to you tomorrow, that is bigger than anything that you will ever face. I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. I am loved. here's my confession for the night last night's Britain's Got Talent I watched it but I think there was a moment in that which I think captured our problem today there was a gospel choir on and they were singing oh happy day oh happy day it was musically amazing it was fantastic it was incredible Simon Cowell says, we need more of this. It makes me feel happy. And I thought, wow. We want a kind of message that makes me feel happy. Do you know what they didn't sing? When Jesus washed my sins away. I think that that missing element just captures the very idea that we live in in Western culture. I want God to make me happy. I don't want to think about the need that I need to be forgiven for my sin. And yet the very core of that amazing gospel song is, Oh, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away.